The first step is to be aware of the way our minds work with information. When you see a big number, don't just go with your first gut reaction to that number, but think carefully. This episode of Data Stories is sponsored by FreshBooks, the small business accounting software that makes your accounting tasks easy, fast, and secure. FreshBooks is offering a month of free and restricted use to all of our listeners. To claim your free month of FreshBooks, go to freshbooks.com slash datastories, where you can sign up for free and without the use of a credit card. Remember to enter Data Stories in the section titled I heard about FreshBooks from at sign up. Once again, the URL to claim your free month is freshbooks.com slash datastories. Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. Hey Moritz, how are you? Hi Enrico. Good, doing great. Just came back from a longer trip uh, to Heidelberg in Germany, beautiful old town. Oh, nice. And yeah, now I'm back home, so things are good. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have a very exciting uh, food-related project coming up, another food-related project, but this time oh. is actually a data visualization about food, and yeah, I can't wait to share So it. that's separate from the data cuisine? Yeah, it's like totally complementary, so this time it's actually a data visualization about food. Should come out in November, hopefully. Yeah. Have you actually seen really the chart pies on Twitter from Ben Schneiderman? Yes. <laughs> ben Schneiderman <laughs> is, is baking chart pies, so we should have him on maybe around Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, good. Let's um, dive right in. I'm, I'm really excited about today's topic. I, I actually don't know if excited is the right word for this topic. <laughs> But um, so we're going to talk about, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of these terms, but we're talking about statistical numbing and genocide neglect, or also called arithmetic of compassion. And I could go on forever. <laughs> and we have a very <laughs> special guest, the person who invented these terms. We have Professor Paul Slovic, who is a professor at the University of Oregon with us, who is the leading expert in this area. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Nice to be with you. Welcome on the show. So, um, as I was saying at the beginning, we want to talk about the power or lack of power of numbers and statistics to communicate um, empathy to other people. And uh, Paul is the leading expert in this area and he's been studying this kind of phenomena for a long time. And uh, he's the person who invented this idea of statistical numbing, which basically is about the fact that when we look at numbers, especially large ones, we just cannot wrap our head uh, around them, 
okay? And he's been studying uh, situations like major genocides and why in some cases under, under certain circumstances, we just don't seem to have the same reaction as for instance, looking at the problem of one single person. And I think first of all, this is a super fascinating topic. And it's also uh, highly related to some of the work that we do in uh, data visualization or data anything. <laughs> Uh, in general, any communication of numbers and statistics, how we, we pretend that our numbers are going to have an effect in the world, but Paul's research seems to um, um, seems to um, point us towards the problem that this doesn't actually happen. <laughs> okay, Paul. So, can you be, maybe give us a little bit of um, a brief introduction of what is um, statistical or psychic numbing and um, what the problem is there? What is happening? Yes, um, this has to do with the way that um, our brains process information when we're um, when we're thinking quickly and intuitively. Uh, in response to um, information, say numbers. So uh, to back up, uh, what we've learned over the last few decades is that we think in two uh, different modes, uh, fast, intuitive uh, types of, of response, and then slow, careful, uh, analytic thinking. So the, uh, the intuitive mode is, uh, is evolutionarily ancient. This is, you know, the the way our brain functioned uh, for millions of years through evolution, when we had to uh, react to things in our environment uh, and determine, you know, whether they were safe or or dangerous and this sort of thing, and then uh, more, much more recently, in evolutionary scale, the we have uh, developed the capacity to think analytically, you know, to use uh, statistics, mathematics, uh, equations, arguments, reasons. It's a, it's a slow, uh, deliberate form of thinking. So these two ways of thinking kind of reside, you know, the, the mechanisms reside in our brain and are, are constantly interacting in what we call a, a dance of affect. Affect is just jargon for feeling. The dance of affect and reason. So we're kind of going back and forth. And I sh should say that an excellent source of Information about this is uh, is uh, Daniel Kahneman's book from 2011 called Thinking Fast and Slow. It's been, you know, where he summarizes a lot of this this uh, evidence for the two ways of thinking. This book has been remarkably successful for a kind of a semi for an academic book. It was written for a general audience and it sold more than three million uh, copies, which for us academics is you know astronomical. Uh, but it's a, it's a very good introduction to this. And, and that's, and, and my work really is uh, very much oriented around the fast and slow thinking. So we're smart enough now to, um, to uh, figure out how to collect data and then to quantify it in various ways, you know, and to display it, you know, visually and in other ways. And we assume that, that these numbers then, when people, um, see them that they will be you know interpreted uh, accurately and people will make appropriate responses and what we find is that well sometimes they do and especially if you think slowly if you're aware of the fact that you need to think carefully about this information then i think it can be used effectively 
But as Kahneman points out in his book, uh, the mind is lazy and takes the easiest uh, easiest route. And the, the fast, intuitive, gut-feeling response uh, is a lot easier to, uh, to employ than, you know, to do statistics or, you know, calculations. That's, that's hard work. Uh, we often uh, get that wrong. And so we default to the, uh, to the intu- to intuition, you know, and, and intuition can size up, you know, can take data and respond to it uh, in milliseconds, you know, fraction of a second, you know, we suddenly make a judgment, oh, you know, is this, this looks good, or it looks bad, or I better get out of here, you know, this sort of thing. So it's a, it's a, it's a remarkably sophisticated system, this fast system, I don't mean to, you know, to denigrate it in any way, this, this is how this helped us survive millions of years in, in you know, through evolution, uh, through, through our feelings, it's the feeling system. So for example, uh, a long time ago, you, you know, you were looking for, for water to drink and you see water in a stream and, and the feeling system, you know, operates by saying, well, you know, how does it look? How, you know, how does it smell? Uh, how does it taste? Did it make me sick the last time I, I, I drank from it? So, and, and that's a pretty good system, but in the modern world, now we, uh, employ, you know, science, like the science of analytic chemistry and toxicology, you know, we can find parts per billion of molecules in that water, and we can do experiments to test whether they, uh, whether these molecules can harm animals, you know, at high doses, this sort of thing. And we, uh, we can do that. uh, And and sometimes we do to try to get, you know, small amounts of carcinogens out of the water and this sort of thing. But so we have both ways of, of responding. And, and so that's what I look at. And particularly, I look at the ways that uh, this very sophisticated, fast system of, of intuitive thinking, based on feelings, uh, where it goes wrong. So it's, it, uh, most of the time, it's, it, it uh, goes right. It's, it's our compass. This is the way we get through the day. You know, we, uh, we, we think about what we have to do, whether we should, you know, uh, have lunch or try to finish a paper that has a deadline in a couple of hours. We have to make that decision. We're not doing any calculations, so we don't have any data to go by. We're just sort of thinking about lunch. We get a feeling about how hungry we are. We think about the, the paper and missing the deadline. That gives us a feeling. We can, you know, the brain in some mysterious way, probably dealing with the firing of dopamine neurons in the brain, which we full, don't fully understand. It makes, it, it, it converts those two different things, having lunch and, and uh, meeting the deadline into some sort of common chemical currency in the brain. And then we decide, we either, you know, we either eat lunch or we keep working on the paper. <laughs> so uh, uh, that, you know, and that's, that's our, what I mean when I say it's our compass, it's the way we, we get through the day. Or if we're driving a car and we decide, you know, we have to decide whether to overtake a car, you know, uh, on, a, on a highway. Uh, on a two-lane highway, we have to decide, is it safe to over, overtake the car? And you look ahead, you see if there's any traffic coming, you, how, what's your line of sight, how fast are you going, how fast is the other car? You do all this kind of calculation. I mean, you could, you could try to do this, you know, with, with physics and, and, you know, other scientific ways, but that you'd never be able to do it, uh, in there. But, uh, but, but through experience, we have learned, you know, how to, how to size up what's the safe speed and distance for, for passing. And, you know, so this is the way, 
that system works. Um, but it also, uh, it also fails us in certain circumstances. So, Paul, can you give us examples of uh, how is this actually related to the problem of uh, statistical numbing and uh, genocide neglect? How, how is this happening? So let's think about uh, how we value a human life. How, you know, how important is a human life? How, how valuable, how much effort should we make to protect a life, to, to, uh, to save a life? And we, we put great value on an individual life. And we, in many cases, will, will um, go to great effort we, and, and, and put ourselves in danger to rescue someone. We will spend a lot of money to to um, to help uh, an individual who's who's ill and who needs expensive treatment if their story comes to you know to our attention uh, we and our community will find the money if needed to to uh, get proper treatment for that person so we're very compassionate uh, for single individuals so we're very compassionate towards single in individuals or towards people, a few people, you know, near us, our, you know, our family, our, you know, the people, our friends, uh, people that we, that we know well in our community. And so, but think about now a situation that threatens uh, some number of lives, like, you know, 87 people are, are at risk of some, you know, uh, some illness. And then suddenly you learn it's 88. Now, if you're working on the feeling system, would you feel any different that that one life, which is so important when it's the first life, uh, loses its impact in terms of feeling uh, when it's part of a larger uh, problem? And there's, there's uh, early work in psychology called uh, psychophysics. It was actually done in Germany in the, you know, around the 1880s or so. And uh, by Weber and Fechner, they were, they were studying how, how, um, how sensations are perceived in the brain. By sensations, I mean, you know, the brightness of a light, the loudness of a sound. And they would vary the physical magnitude of the light or the sound. And what they found is that the when a person was judging how loud it, it sounded to them or how bright the light seemed, they found that at very low levels of light or sound, people were very sensitive and, and would re respond. Even a slight increase was detectable and, you know, made a difference. But as the magnitude, as the, as the, as the level of the sound or the light increased, it took more and more of a difference to be noticed. So, I mean, this is very obvious if you're like, uh, you know, in a quiet room, you can hear a whisper. But if you're in a, in a, uh, in a football stadium, you won't hear that wh uh, whisper. It, it'll take a shout before you'll, you'll, you'll note it, you'll hear it. So, it's, that's a very simple, you know, uh, example. And, and if you plot that, you know, visually on a graph, what you see is on the x-axis, as, as the magnitude of the sound or the light increases, the, on the y-axis, the, the, uh, the loudness or brightness increases very steeply right at the beginning. 
you know, uh, at the low level. And then it flattens, it begins to flatten out. It becomes ever more and more uh, what we call concave. It comes flatter so that that it you you see that 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 difference between zero and one, which is huge, uh, if it's between eighty seven and eighty eight, it's on the flat part of the curve, and it doesn't make much difference. Well, that's the way the mind responds to 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 sound, uh, to light, uh, amounts of money, and unfortunately, to numbers of lives. When when we're thinking fast, if you're thinking slow, and you and you do the math. You know that 87, 88 minus 87 is one life, you know, but if you're just using your feelings, you don't notice the difference. So that's basically what's going on. That's the element uh, that we call uh, psychic numbing. I should say that the term psychic numbing uh, didn't originate with me. It, it was, I think it uh, came from a psychiatrist, Robert J. Lifton, who was studying the... Um, what aid workers after uh, the atomic bombing in uh, bombings in in Japan had to do to be able to go into the you know aftermath of, of the the bombs and to try to try to rescue anyone who had survived it was terrible uh, carnage and and horrific and they had to turn off their feelings in order to function they had to kind of uh, become numb just in order to 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 do their jobs so in that sense. Psychic numbing was an adaptive. It was a, a kind of thing. It was important and useful. But the way I study it uh, with regard to number, it's not adaptive. It is. Uh, it leads to non-rational response. It 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 leads to a uh, uh, response where the importance that you put on a human life. Uh, is not constant, but it, it, it becomes less and less important. That life becomes, loses its important, importance, uh, as the size of the problem increases. And that raises the question, well, you know, is this the way we want to behave? You know, uh, uh, sure, maybe the problem, the bigger problems are harder to deal with. They're, you know, they're difficult, they're costly. And maybe we can't do as much again, you know, in the big problems, but but still we have to to ask ourselves uh, whether we are properly valuing human lives when the number of those lives is great. This is a good time to take a little break and talk about our sponsor, FreshBooks. So you are racing against the clock to wrap up three projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to life as a freelancer. Challenging? Yes, but our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are so worth it. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. To meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. 
The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. Create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. Set up online payments with just a couple of clicks and get paid up to four days faster. And see when your clients have seen your invoice and put an end to the guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash data stories and enter data stories in the how did you hear about us section. Let me say this again. Go to freshbooks.com slash data stories. And now back to the show. So, Paul, uh, I think that's, that's fascinating. And actually, I believe that many people in, in visualization are familiar with uh, Weber's law because we applied to something different. So the idea is that uh, experimentally, um, researchers have found that different uh, visual channels have, of course, they almost all, all of all uh, follow the Weber's law or Fechner law, but they follow it with different um, exponents to the power law. And because of that, they tend to be more or less accurate. So some of the guidelines that we do have in visualization come exactly from these, um, from the same science. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, I just want to check if I understood correctly reading your papers. There is something that you call the collapse of compassion, and it seems to be related to the fact that in some cases, what you observe in your studies seems to be even worse than following the Weber's law. Uh, what I mean is that not only the increase um, decreases as, as the number of people grows, but it can also decrease. What I mean is that experimentally, and please correct me if I'm wrong, experimentally you found that adding more people can actually provoke uh, less empathy and also um, smaller amount of donations. Is that correct? Well, <clears throat> yes, it's uh, absolutely what we, what we found. I, I should also add um, first that this, this um, decline in feeling uh, or value for human life we found in experiments actually begins with the number two. I mean, I, I use this example, 87, 88, but what we find is that, that uh, the response to two people at, uh, in danger is not twice that of of one, both in terms of how you feel about them, you know, how sad you are that, that they're in, in, in danger or, or how much money you would, uh, you would provide. Uh, it, uh, it's not double. It's, uh, it's something less than, than twice. Uh, so even at the, at the very, you know, adding just one person, you begin to lose, uh, empathy. And there's, uh, there's a saying uh, with regard to empathy that uh, you can understand empathy, what it means by it's really putting yourself in the shoes of another person. So you see the world as they do and you feel what they feel and you can connect with them emotionally. And think about um, what it would be to put yourself in the shoes of two people simultaneously. <laughs> it, it doesn't work. And in fact, uh, if we had the visual here, I could show you. I, I by chance happened upon a, a um, uh, an art exhibit, an exhibit of, of Cuban art, 
And there was a sculpture in there by a Cuban sculptor named Juan Capote, and he created a shoe for two people. And it was very awkward, strange device. Uh, it was titled, his sculpture was titled Matrimony, and, and it was designed to show the, some of the difficulties sometimes two people in a marriage have in relating to each other. And, and, uh, and just as, as this shoe is an awkward device, the mind can't quite connect directly to two people simultaneously as well as to one. You don't, it, you know, you don't, uh, play as close attention to two people. You don't draw as many details and, and inferences about them when they're two. So, so we begin to lose it at two. And what we, what we found was as we increased the number of people in, in danger and asked for, you know, some sort of sympathy and other judgments and also, uh, uh, like monetary donations, that at some point, not only does it flatten out, like the psychophysical sound and light functions, but it actually begins to decline. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's uh, no longer that, uh, that uh, you know, you can't tell the difference between whether there were 200,000 people murdered in Darfur or 400,000, because it feels the same. But at some point, you just don't, care. You, you just lose, you just lose feeling. 200,000 means nothing to you. It's just a number. If you're on this fast system. Now, if you're, you know, if you're step back and you're aware of this problem and, and, and you say, now look, I have to think more carefully. You know, what does 200,000 mean? Well, it's the size of the city I live in. It's like every person in that city. Then you can get, you know, you can start to get uh, get perspective on the magnitude of this number. But otherwise, the number, and interesting, the first four letters of number are N-U-M-B. It leaves us numb. And we don't <laughs> react. We, we react. Uh, we, we lose it. And that's what we mean by uh, the collapse of compassion. Mm -hmm. Could this also be some sort of like a psychological like over overflow or like, you know, that that you just cannot imagine 200,000 people like being murdered, you know, and you just, you, you don't even go there mentally. So you just deny it's actually happening. Is that sort of the, the mechanism maybe, or? Well, <clears throat> yes, I think, I think it is a, it is a, uh, it, it's a failure of the, of the feeling system mm -hmm. uh, because the feeling system is designed to be sensitive at the very low level. So, uh, same thing oh, yeah. with sound. Imagine yeah. a device that is is designed so it can pick up the faintest sound. And now you put a, uh, a jet engine next to it. I mean, you're going to blow it apart. You know, uh, so, so uh, uh, our evolu in evolution, you know, there was a, uh, you could say nature had a decision there to make us either sensitive to the small or to the large, and it made us sensitive to the small at the expense of numbing us to the large. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and you think mm -hmm. about feelings. Uh, the feeling system is very, it's very sensitive, but it's very crude. I mean, think about, uh, let's say you walk out of the studio and you see a hundred dollar bill on the street that is unclaimed and it's, you know, it's yours. You, you know, you feel, okay, this is nice. Uh, it feels good. Um, but supposing it was a $200 bill, you know, you wouldn't feel any different. You, you know, the, the feeling system is very, um, 
you know, it, it's not very articulated. It, you know, it's, it's almost got, a, it's only got a few levels. And so, uh, so it, it can't ramp up very much. And then, uh, and, and as you, and then, as you say, also, it, it depends on images and, and, and think, you know, imagination. And it is, and you can't imagine easily 200,000 people unless you look at a, a, think about a stadium or some other large crowd. But even then, you can't, you can't, you know, see the individuality there. It's just a, you know, kind of a big group of people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, all of these things are, are at play. And you mentioned the word denial. Well, that's another factor that, also comes into play that even with the uh, with the slow thinking, when you do grasp the the magnitude of how you know terrible something is, if you can't do anything about it, then it makes sense to sort of block it out of your mind and deny and and you know and go on t- with the rest of your life because otherwise you'll be tormented and you won't be able to you know to to solve that 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 problem. So we also have a lot of you know head in the sand denial going on. Uh, which, you know, is made easier by the fact that that if we, you know, we don't feel anything about mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. we're denying. So, so you're saying that because we cannot solve the whole problem as a whole, we we're not even capable of picking a small part of it and at least solving that one because it's we wouldn't know which part to pick or we, we, we don't feel that motivated anymore. Great, and that is very interesting observation. Which we, which we uh, uh, kind of uh, got, gets into something that we stumbled upon when we were we were asking people to donate to to starving children, and we found that that if uh, you know if we showed an individual a little girl with a name and a face and we said something we gave her a little description she's seven years old she you know said where she lives and she's you know, facing severe malnutrition and starvation, people would respond very strongly. Uh, then we had another condition. We thought, well, maybe we can we can get even stronger response by showing how big a problem this is. And so we had the same little girl, and and then in the background we said, you know, uh, you know, she's one of millions in several countries, you know, that are starving. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that the sympathy and the donations dropped in half oh my to God. the same to the same child. Oh, so then we started thinking, uh, well, why do people donate? And we saw that uh, there's um, an economist named Andrioni a long time ago who said that we we help others not only because they need our help, but because we feel good about helping. We get a warm glow of satisfaction by helping. And then we said, well, let's study this notion of warm glow. Let's educate people about it. Let's have them rate their warm glow in one situation or the next. And we started to do that. And then we and we re- remembered this response where you could help this child, but she's one of millions. And we thought, well, maybe the fact that that there's, you know, almost a million people you're not helping detracts from your warm glow. Doesn't feel as good to help this child when you know there's, you know, a million more you're not helping. So we started to study that, and we started to study that not with millions, but down with 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 several. So we we had a uh, a child that you could help, and next to the child, we had uh, we put the picture of six similar children 
whom we said, unfortunately, you can't help these children, but you can help the other one. And what we found <laughs> is that the war, people didn't feel as good about helping that child when they saw these other kids. And then when we started to reduce that number of others, we found that even if there's one other child that you can't help, you don't feel as good about the child you can help, and you don't help as much. And so, so what, what's going on there is that we, we, we believe is that the negative feelings from the one or more children up to a million that you're not helping come in and blend with the good feeling you have about the child and they, they degrade it, they dampen it out. And I think that's very interesting from a data visualization standpoint. What it means is that you, know, you look at these images of the kids you can't help, it sends feelings into your brain. And what we believe is that the, that the brain has, has no gatekeeper for those feelings. That is, it doesn't, it doesn't scrutinize and vet those feelings, say, are these legitimate or not? Because, uh, 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 it, it, it lets them, it lets them in, uh, and, and to mingle with the relevant feelings as your compass. You know, this is all your feeling compass. And, and to, to test that further, uh, we had the, you know, we had those six children that you couldn't help. We, we, uh, we, um, we substituted for the six children, we, six abstract shapes that conveyed no feeling really. The, the, the children you couldn't help, we, we had, we, we saw that they conveyed negative feelings. And the more negative you, you felt about the kids you couldn't help, the less good you felt about helping the child you could help. And then we put these abstract shapes in. They didn't carry much feelings and they didn't interfere with the child you could help. Then we went one step further. And we put six pictures of just ugly pictures, you know, uh, a, uh, a, a shark baring its teeth, a handgun pointed at you, uh, you know, uh, six pictures that were, that had been shown to create negative feelings, but were completely irrelevant to the child that you're considering helping. And we find, found it, 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 again, the same thing happened that, that the more negative you thought those ugly pictures were, the less good you, you felt about helping that child, even though it had nothing to do with it. So the, the, the brain, uh, doesn't discriminate, uh, whether the feelings that are coming in and blending together are relevant or not. And you can think, well, from an evolutionary standpoint, that was adaptive. You know, you hear a you hear a noise in the bush. The brain doesn't stop to do any kind of you know calculation. What's the probability that it's this animal or that animal or anything? You know, if it sounds uh, scary, you get out of there fast. You know, it 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 takes it, it lets that 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 stimulus and those feelings in instantly. You know, it doesn't vet them. Uh, so. So, uh, this is again another way that the, that the feeling system works. And, and it, um, uh, uh, I think it's non-rational when you're talking about helping others. And, and what it means is that, that, uh, that's if you, if you get the sense that you can't do it all, you might not do what you can do. You know, which is non, non-rational. But if you're thinking, right, you know, slowly and analytically, you know, then you, 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 you can appreciate the fact that you are doing some good, uh, helping that child. So now, 
then it occurred to us that this might be relevant to a, a, a major problem in the world today, which is uh, terrorism. Uh, and, and the fact that um, it's uh, getting more and more difficult to stop certain types of, of terrorist attacks. So after, you know, in, in recent years, we focused on, on protecting airplanes because of the spectacular attack on 9-11 with the planes. And, you know, we've gotten pretty good at, at uh, protecting air, airline, airplanes uh, at a great cost time and money and hassle. But now terrorists have employed uh, different methods. They, they, they realize that it's tough to you know, bring something on an airplane to cause a problem. So now they're doing things like they did in Nice, you know, driving trucks into crowds. Well, you can't protect against that kind of action. You can't protect you know, trucks as weapons, Crowds as vulnerable. I mean, they're everywhere. There's no way that you can do the kind of protection uh, uh, there that you can protect uh, an airliner. So we're very vulnerable there. And and sure, we have to do you know all kinds of intelligence to try to you know ferret out these plots before they they uh, uh, they're they're attempted. But now we're wondering whether we can demotivate. Uh, terrorists in the same way that we found that that uh, pe that good people were demotivated from helping by by uh, by uh, deceptive feeling cues. <laughs> so so can you so the, the 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 assumption and there's this is a big assumption is that that a terrorist is rational in the sense that they have something they want to achieve. You know whether you know we may not. Like what they want to achieve, but but they they have a goal, and can we can we give them a sense that you know they're, they're what they'll accomplish is like a drop in the bucket? Uh, there's it's not really going to make a difference, or it's going to be, you know, we can can we make it not feel as good about um, trying that that uh, attack through through putting things uh, in the con in the in the environment that. That uh, dampen their their uh, feelings towards what they can accomplish, and I, I'm not going to you know elaborate more uh, on that. But again, it's so again it's it's based on this notion that that you noted noted in terms of of you know effectiveness or not or not being able to do it all. So. Um in a way, this this research is 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 terrifying. I'm sorry to say that, but it's. Uh, I mean, what we see happening um, when you test um, um, these conditions in the lab uh, seems to, um, yeah, it's very uh, concerning. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, what can we do? I think, especially. Um, um, I think many of the people who are uh, listening to this show are very enthusiastic about the idea of visualizing information, data, and statistics. And uh, many of us believe that we can also do very good with with this. And uh, but your research seems to point to the fact that 
numbers and statistics are actually not very good. So what what can facts are <laughs> facts are overrated. Everybody facts knows are that, overrated, right? right? <laughs> so what what can we do to counteract this? Is there anything that um, I don't know? Do you have any suggestion or tips on how we can uh, do this job better? So yes, it can. This this is uh, depressing in many ways, and in fact. You know, unfortunately, the world is depressing. If you look what's going on, you know, like in, in Syria or other places, it's uh, damn depressing. But so the first, the, the first step is to be aware of the way our minds work with information. And so that's what, what we're trying uh, to do um, by, we do these studies and then we want, we hope that people will uh, we'll see the results and that we can get them uh, interested enough uh, and aware of this, these phenomena so they can uh, be on guard. You know, when you see a big number, uh, don't, you know, take the time to, you know, don't just go with your first gut reaction to that number, which might be rather, rather faint, but, but think carefully, you know, use what Kahneman calls system two. You know, to to uh, think carefully about the reality that that number uh, represents. So that's that's the the first step. Uh, the for for those who present information, you know that that uh, you have different ways that you can um, what we call frame the number. You can take the same information and and you can describe it in different ways and. One of the things uh, that we learn about the feeling system is that it often reacts uh, more strongly to changes in numbers or ratios than to the numbers themselves. So if if the you know the chance of something happening or the number of people uh, you know affected uh, changes, you could say, well, this it's doubled or tripled. Or something like that. So the, the the ratio conveys feelings that that the numbers themselves don't convey. So and that's why in the uh, the work that uh, Kahneman and and his colleague Amos Tversky did that won them the no, uh, Kahneman the Nobel Prize. It's a um, theory called prospect theory, and they have something called a value function, uh, how we value uh, uh, amounts of things. Uh, the the amounts are changes. They're not absolute amounts. They're changes from uh-huh. a reference point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're talking about about money, people are are uh, they're often uh, not very sensitive to the you know whether their net work worth is you know three thousand or thirty five hundred, but they know that they just lost a hundred dollars. You know that that's bad. That that the, the changes. We're more sensitive to changes than to the actual amounts. So, so uh, graph or present your your data if there if there are if you can do it in that way if you've got a reference point, use the reference point because then we gauge the value by how it relates to the reference point. So I once saw a a news clipping around the time of the the financial crisis uh, in the world. Uh, the uh, uh, companies uh, uh, were doing poorly, stocks were doing poorly. And there's something called a, a, a quarterly earnings forecast for a company that uh, everyone looks at to see you know, how well they did this last quarter. And, and 
people are uh, stocks are very sensitive to it. The prices are very sensitive to whether you beat or or fail to beat the forecast. And what had happened was that the analysts uh, deliberately uh, dampened down their forecast to make it easier for companies to meet the the, the goals. Um, and sure enough, when they beat these uh, weak forecasts, their prices rose. So it wasn't you know uh, the the the, um, the relative. You know, beating the forecast was good, even if the forecast was kind of meaningless. And when I talk about this, I, I relate that to a cartoon that I saw from the, from the New Yorker. This guy is uh, looking at the at the news uh, channel, and the announcer is saying, uh, "Meaningless statistics are up five percent this year." So the fact that they're up 5% is good. It gives meaning. The, the, you know, the reference point gives meaning to information that, you know, I mean, the information should have meaning by itself, but, but you, can, you can boost that uh, with, uh, with uh, comparisons. So that's, and that's what we call, what we call uh, framing. So that's, uh, that's one example. And the other is to, is to, um, to, to, um, Create uh, or give or, or provide stories or or visual or or pictures of what what is being represented by the numbers. And you know, the, it, it is true that a picture is worth a thousand words or maybe a thousand numbers. Uh, these these photographs can be can be very powerful. But even there, there's a there there's a, a limitation. I mean, they 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 do help help us understand the reality behind the numbers. But we've, you can also get numb to the photographs. So we've been getting a lot of photographs from Syria, you know, of, of uh, you know, horrible uh, you know, atrocities and, and children, uh, you know, who've been uh, bombed and injured or killed. There have been uh, two in the last year, the little boy who washed up on the shore of the beach in, in uh, I think it was in Turkey, uh, very powerful, Elon Kurdi. Uh, it had a strong response, but and for about a month, you know, there were a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, concern about refugees, and more money was donated to help refugees and things. But but ultimately, uh, things went back to normal. And then uh, a few weeks ago, we had the picture of the little boy uh, Omran Dagnish, a little boy with you know mud all over his face, staring blankly. Did you did you see that? Um, and that too created a, a, you know, out of many thousands of pictures, those two pictures have stood out and they do create a response. They, we connect with the pictures and we have a little bit of a sense, better sense of, of what the problem of thousands or millions of, of uh, refugees might be. But it only lasts so long. But it, it gives us a window of time when we can act. But unless there's there's a, a system in place that that is designed to do something effective about this. Then, after time, you know, we forget about even these these pictures, and nothing happens. And and that's what's happened with the uh, these dramatic photographs of of uh, refugee children. So, so images are, are important. I'm, I I like to think of. That it, with regard to climate change, I think in terms of data visualization, uh, we see that 
you know, many of the, most of the scientists uh, in, in this area are very uh, worried about, you know, what we're doing to our climate. They're forecasting all kinds of, of uh, dire consequences. And the world is doing relatively little to halt our production of the, the uh, you know, fossil fuel pollution and other pollution that, that is causing this. And so you come out with a, you know, they come out with things like a forecast. Well, in the next so many years, we can expect a certain centimeter rise in sea level. Okay. Well, that's, that's the data. And then the question is, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, how do I interpret that? And they can say, okay, well, uh, they can show me a map of shorelines, you know, that are going to be changed because of this rise in sea level. And, I, and that, that helps me a little bit. But it would help even more if I, you know, live near a coastline, if I saw my, my, my home area, my favorite places, um, how, how much underwater they would be with this certain centimeter rise in sea level. So that's a, 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 so you have the visual, you have the number, you have the map visualization, and then you have the you know the the visualization the 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 experiential uh, uh, image that you can relate to and and that will make it much more meaningful and more more powerful so I think there's a lot that can be done uh, in that regard to take the numbers and to translate them into images that can really have an impact on us yeah this actually reminds me of a um a new infographic that has been published a few days ago from the webcomic XKCD. I don't know if you are familiar with it, but it seems to confirm exactly what you just said. It's a very, so it's a, it's a nice graphic uh, that you need to, in order to interpret it, you have to scroll it for very, very, very long time. And it's basically just a timeline of how much the temperature, average temperature has changed uh, uh, during the last, uh, 2000 years no 40 yeah 2000 years even longer even yeah even longer yeah yeah and everything is in reference to the average that we have between 1961 and 1990 and what you notice right away when you start uh looking at the graph from the very beginning is that the 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 range is actually very small we go from minus 4 to plus 4 when you compare it to to this average right and i think that that's the first thing that jumped at me when i when i saw the graphic it's like oh my god when we talk about global warming and included in, in this timeline there is all the glacial era right uh, we're talking about a few degrees right <laughs> and um, <laughs> so that's very powerful and seems to confirm exactly what 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 you just said um yeah yeah so it's not hopeless uh, yeah it's not hopeless yeah you know there are ways to uh to uh reframe uh data to add uh, uh, uh images to to uh support it and also to you know to show trends things like that we're very we are sensitive uh to that kind of information and we just we just need to be aware of the fact that we can't just assume that the raw that the basic numbers themselves will will have the meaning that they should have, and so we have to we have to work harder to draw the meaning uh, from it. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, and I think 
it will right now we're in a time where people often think the numbers you know will speak for themselves and we don't need to illustrate them you know people will know what it means or something or yeah they know how it's like there in this country or yeah and i often hear this also in a business context that I, I like to criticize this idea that you can break down everything into like a single key performance indicator or something. If that you need this grounding of actually having been to the factory and you know knowing the people, and I think it's it's sort of coming back this insight that with without this this perceptual grounding, there's and this personal grounding, we don't actually even understand these things properly, right? And and we need we need to. Um, start at early ages. We need to teach children to th to think uh, critically about about data. You know that that should be that that's a very important uh, skill that we we should be uh, um, uh, training into into children ra rather than just you know uh, teaching them. Uh, sure, we need to teach them mathematics and numbers, but we need to teach them how to uh, appreciate the reality behind information and to be sensitive to the ways that they can make mistakes in in unless they think carefully about the the data yeah i think it's paradoxical because on the other hand we still teach to a lot of people how to reason with information not only <laughs> not only with feelings right so we kind of like have both problems at the same time both, you see an sure. excess yeah. of people who are reasoning only with their feelings and an excess of people on the other hand who are using only numbers right it's a it's a complex this presidential situation. election is a good example i would exactly. say yeah. yeah the two candidates are very different you know obviously hillary is a data walk and and trump is all all feelings um, so we'll see who wins. <laughs> <laughs> Date our feelings. That's that's the real struggle there. <laughs> okay, Paul. Well, thanks a lot. That's really fascinating and and clearly extremely useful. Uh, I'm sure our listeners uh, will love this this episode. Uh, one last question is: um, What is the best source for our listeners to familiarize with your research and find information about you? Um, I saw that you recently published a book. I'm, I'm wondering if this is the best uh, uh, source. The book the book is called Numbers and nerves i'm actually holding it on my in my hands right now i started reading only a few pages and it seems to summarize um many of these studies and the information that we uh, uh, just talked about on the show yes uh, uh thanks for mentioning that i think that is uh that is uh, for a single source that would be the the place to go it's uh, co-edited with my son scott who's field is uh is uh literature relating to environment And we found uh, over over time that we had the same concerns about how uh, people process information, whether it's about other people or about the environment that uh, we need to uh, to see. And, and also, it shows how how artists and writers who are aware of these uh, pro uh, problems try to help us appreciate things large in scale through story, through 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 the uh, uh, or, or or images. We have some chapters by photographers. Who who uh, who have clever ways of of with photographs of conveying large numbers and in fact the cover of the book um, you know it's it's a sea of red and you look carefully it's a it's a, eight, a picture of eight hundred and forty four thousand 
poppies that were, uh, you know, uh, near the Tower of London that were in a display to represent the number of, of, uh, of uh, war dead in the Commonwealth in, in World War One, you know, through this uh, this visual uh, display of, of, of flowers. So uh, anyway, that's a good uh, a good way to uh, get into this problem and, and this issue. Okay, well, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Paul. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, we have a request. If you can spend a couple of minutes reading us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're of course on Twitter at twitter.com slash datastories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash datastoriespodcast, all in one word. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage datastory.es and look for the link that you find on the bottom in the footer. So one last thing that we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want to us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for us. And that's all for now. See you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories. This episode of Data Stories is sponsored by FreshBooks, the small business accounting software that makes accounting tasks easy, fast, and secure. FreshBooks is offering a month of free unrestricted use to all of our listeners. To claim your free month, go to freshbooks.com slash datastories, where you can sign up for free and without a credit card. Remember to enter Data Stories in the section titled I heard about FreshBooks from at sign up. Once again, go to freshbooks.com slash datastories to claim your free month.